Well, good evening. Everybody doing well? You can turn in your Bibles to John's third epistle, third John. Only one chapter, but we're in chapter, the chapter, chapter one, and in verse nine, where we'll be finishing our series of studies, a two-part series in this letter. You'll remember that this book was written, as we talked pretty extensively last week about this, this book was written to a man by the name of Gaius, who more than likely had come into conflict with the leader of a church named Diotrephes. And there was a problem because, you see, Gaius was showing hospitality to these preachers and ministers that John had sent to his home church, and yet Diotrephes was not. And we'll see, he gets rebuked this evening as we read the letter. Actually, the rebuke isn't directly to Diotrephes. It is a rebuke of Diotrephes to Gaius to encourage him. And uh, so that's, that's part of what's happening here. Uh, you, you see, at the time, there was a real need for hospitality in the church. And Gaius was willing to show that degree of hospitality to these ministers. So now John is sending another group of ministers, led by a man by the name of Demetrius. And this group is carrying this letter written by John, alerting Gaius to what was about to take place. Let's open in a word of prayer. Oh, Lord, Heavenly Father, as always, we approach your word with reverence and and joy. And we're just filled with joy to be together worshiping, to be in fellowship, to be in prayer, and to be in the study of your word. We're grateful, Lord, for the opportunities that we have and the opportunity this evening to minister and to encourage one another. We now ask as we open your word together that you would speak to our hearts and encourage us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in 3 John, in verse 9, John now gets to this rebuke of Diotrephes. And we read there, as he writes to Gaius, his friend, his dear friend, Gaius, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. So you see, it isn't a new thing when pastors get on a power trip or leaders get on a power trip and start to try to control people's lives. One of the most disgusting things to me at least, and especially as a pastor, but just as a Christian, is when people in positions of influence and leadership abuse that influence and their position to control people's lives. You see it all the time. You you see it all the time. You see it in cults, but you see it so frequently in churches as well. A number of years ago, a couple that came to the church and have been here for some time now, a couple of years, were sharing with me why they were thinking about leaving their church and attending here. Part of the reason they were hesitant is because they weren't sure if they were allowed to leave their church and attend here. Like they needed a special dispensation to be able to start attending another church. And our church was closer, but aside from that, it made me sad to think that someone would ever feel that they need someone's permission you need someone's permission to, to, to attend another church? 
You know, there are some churches that, if you're going to become a member, will ask you to give them a copy of your most recent W-2. I know, it sounds crazy. Has anyone ever experienced that? Because I've heard this. Yeah, you have, okay. Uh, I've actually heard this, and I couldn't believe it, and yet so many people have told me this that I actually do believe it now. But you wouldn't want to know how much in the flesh I would get if someone told me I needed to give them my W-2 form. So I see this all the time. I mean, going back to the 70s with Jim Jones and drinking the Kool-Aid, you know. I mean, going back to that time, of course, we remember what happened when very, very evil men and women tried to control people's lives or that doomsday cult that took place, I don't know, I guess 20-something years ago now. That kind of stuff you can almost understand because a lot of that, it, it, it isn't really godly. It's kind of warped and bizarre. It's cultish. But when you see it in, in the bride, in the bride of Christ, when you see it in the body of Christ, from men who should know better, women who should know better, you know, I understand why Jesus made that rope, that whip of cords, and drove out the money changers. That's what I feel like doing. See, I'm a shepherd. I'm called to be a shepherd. Many of you are called to shepherd, whether your families or ministries or the children or, or another ministry in the church. And you know how you feel when somebody comes after your sheep? Well, how do you think Jesus feels when people do this? How do you think John felt? He had sent these ministers, and this man Diotrephes started all this trouble, and he alludes to it. And he's speaking to a man named Gaius, who more than likely had been excommunicated, put outside the church, because he dared to defy a leadership decision by this man Diotrephes by showing hospitality within his own home to other itinerant ministers. Now, there are some people that just will not allow you to defy them or disagree with them. They have to have complete and total control. Don't walk away from a church like that. Run. There is no room for that in the body of Christ. I'm not a guru. No one here is in control of anyone else's life. We can teach the word of God. And if we see your life in chaos, we'll reach out in love. And if you continue to live in defiance, open, unrepentant defiance of God's word, we'll ask you to leave. Lovingly. Actually, we'll plead with you not to leave. We'll plead with you to change and repent and confess your sin and be restored. But if you refuse, then we will ask you to leave because there's no place to just be living openly and blatantly against God's word and in defiance of God's word. But no one here is going to tell you how you should vote. No one's going to tell you how you should live. No one is going to try to control your life because that's the job of the Holy Spirit. That is not the job of any pastor, any minister, anywhere, at any time. So here's what was going on. John had written a couple of letters. He wrote a letter to Diotrephes, which is always the first step. You always try to reach the person. But, of course, it was ignored. And now he's writing to Gaius because he's the only person that he can appeal to to take care of these ministers who are heading there. Everyone else has been intimidated into not showing hospitality to Demetrius and to his team. So he indicts Diotrephes to Gaius, and he warns him. He indicts him for his pride. That is, Diotrephes was filled with pride, and he, in fact, was being insubordinate to John's authority over the church. John was an apostle, one of the original 12. John was the elder of elders. John had the authority in the church. I mean, he was one of the pillars of the church. And this man just decided, well, you know, John, he's old. He's in his 90s. What does he know? 
Be very careful when someone sort of openly and defiantly says, well, the pastor won't care if we do this. You know, one of the things, I remember this a couple years ago, we were talking about home fellowships. And most churches are very, very controlling over anything you might decide to do, even good churches. They're, they're terrified that you might start a home fellowship and teach something that isn't true, right? So under the guise of perhaps wanting to protect people, they sort of try to control everybody. As if you couldn't have a home fellowship in your house without asking our permission anyway. And I finally said, you know what? No one needs our permission to do anything. Oh, but what happens? What happens? What's going to happen is going to happen, whether you want it to or not. So you might as well tell everyone, listen, you want to have a home fellowship? Invite some people to your house. Open up the Word together and study. If this thing is of God, it'll be a blessing. And if it's rebellious and its purpose is to cause trouble, then that'll reveal itself. But even if we pass some type of edict that says, you can't start a home Bible study until you get Pastor Sal's approval. He's the assistant pastor. He has to sign off on it. Even if we said that, how are we going to stop you? It would be stupid to try. So at the end of the day, what we decided to do is, you, you know what? There's freedom in Christ. You want to have a home fellowship? Please have a home fellowship. Feel free to invite whoever you like. And, you know, that, that sounds like too much freedom. It sounds like, oh, my goodness, chaos could ensue. Or, or the Holy Spirit might actually begin to work through people's life as they're free in Christ, and people will be blessed. And you know what? That's what happened. I gave up trying to control God's church a long time ago because he doesn't need me to do the job of the Holy Spirit. So, this man, I guess, decided he was the Holy Spirit. He was going to approve things. He was going to decide how things should go, who should be approved, who shouldn't be approved. And John had already written a letter to this church, and he tried to address their unwillingness to show hospitality, which is a sacred thing in the Middle East. And so he's like, you guys are not showing hospitality to good men. Why? We don't have that letter, but here he tells us the gist of it. And what did Diotrephes do? He refused to obey John's apostolic authority in the church, despite his explicit direction. What you're going to find is the people who don't tolerate insubordination are the insubordinate. The people who can't handle others not listening to them are the ones that don't listen to others. You see, in order to exercise authority in the church properly, you have to be submitted to authority in the church. And if you're not submitted, you can't lead. See, until you follow, you have no business leading. So one of the ways I know someone's not called to leadership is they can't follow even the simplest direction. You ask them, for example, hey, listen, people, you know, it's snowing out. Could you, could you go out and, and just direct people into the parking lot? Have them double park in, in two lines, three lines. And you go out there, and all of a sudden, all the cars are all over the place. And you go, well, what happened? Well, I, I thought it was better if we... I'm not saying you can't think for yourself. I'm just saying that if you're serving in a ministry and the ministry leader says, hey, listen, this is what we're doing, have the decency to say, oh, have you thought about this? Make a suggestion, certainly, but when we're going to do it this way, then just follow directions. What's the big deal? We're not trying to control your life. You don't want to do it, don't do it. But what I found is the people who always have to do it their way, which is different than the way we have chosen to do it or someone's leading is doing it, it's generally that person that causes many, many problems within the church. What's the big deal? 
What is the big deal? You know, I heard a story one time just speaking about change resistance. And uh, we encounter this a lot in the, in the corporate world, uh, change resistance. I mean, you always heard, they called it breaking paradigms. That was the fancy way of saying it. But change resistance, it would be as, as we would hear this all the time, but, 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 but we've always done it this way. And I found out many times, especially over this last year and a half, that some of the things we were doing made no sense. And we changed and did them differently because the way we're doing them now makes more sense. You've got to be open to change. Don't get me wrong. So you've got to break those paradigms. You, you have to be willing to think, things, think about things differently and, and, and maybe not do the things you, the way you did them before. That's true. You have to be open to change, of course. But I heard this story that one particular Sunday, as an experiment, I would never do this, but they would set up their church facing a certain direction in this hall. So they would put out all the folding chairs. And one particular Sunday, they changed the direction of the chairs. Threw everybody into chaos. No one could handle it. But why? But why? No, we just felt like doing something different. But, but, but why? But why? And it just proved the case of people being very change-resistant. We don't want to be change-resistant, but we don't want to be rebels doing things the way we think is the best way to do things, especially when you've been directed by leadership to do them differently or to do them differently than you want to do them. So this is the deal with this guy. I really don't like this guy. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like his name. I bet if I saw a picture of him, I wouldn't like his face. There's just something about the way John describes this guy that I don't like him. So I look at this as Diotrephes refused to obey John. This is John. I mean, maybe somebody else, but John, the elder of elders, the apostle John, the last living apostle of Jesus Christ, one of the original 12, and you're, just just be quiet and do what you're being told to do. At the end of the day, that's what he should have done. But he apparently coveted his leadership position in the church. He exercised it with great pride. Have you ever seen anyone that's, they're put in charge of even the smallest thing, and they become the Adolf Hitler of whatever that is? We sometimes call them, you know, if they're setting up the chairs, they're the chair Nazi, you know. Has to be their way. No, no, no. Six inches between the chairs, not five and a half. Those kinds of people are infuriating, aren't they? And you know what it comes down to? It's their, their pride. They love to be in charge. L- listen, listen. Pastors, let me give you a little, let me give you a little preview. Of, I, can, I know I'm speaking for all of our pastors when I say this, because I've known them a long time. I can tell you our leaders will be the first one to tell you. It's not always a lot of fun to be in charge. In fact, most of the time, it's not fun. It's a responsibility. We don't get up in the morning and say, oh, good, I get to be in charge. We say we have to serve the body. We're called to serve the body of Christ, and that's a joy and a blessing. But it's not supposed to benefit us. It's not about us. And so this man lost that. Somewhere along the line, he became the church Nazi. He became the one who was going to control everybody. And I don't even think it was so much what John was asking Diotrephes to do, but that John was asking Diotrephes to do something. Not what, but that he would actually ask him to do something. Now, he ultimately positioned the church and its leadership against John the Apostle. That's what happens when someone doesn't want to submit. They start creating factions and rally support and start to badmouth and gossip against the other person, whether it's within the church or without of the church. And they'll say things, you know. 
It's funny, people will come to me, and I'll, I'll use an example of a pastor I really like a lot, John MacArthur. And, you know, a pastor, someone will come to the pastor, and they'll say, oh, Pastor Tim, I was listening to John MacArthur, and he had a really great message. And this is what it sounds like when someone's like a diatrophist. Well, you know, you got to be careful. He's a Calvinist. Oh, you got to be careful. You know, he doesn't believe exactly what we believe. Like, who does? Rather than acknowledging he's a gifted man. And he shares some wonderful messages. Yeah, just acknowledge it. God uses other people besides you. It's okay. It's okay. It's going to be okay. It really is. I just, this is like the flesh at its core. Given the opportunity, it's just intolerable. And this is how pastors single-handedly destroy their own churches. I've seen it over and over again. I will seldom, if ever, badmouth someone, unless they're a heretic. I mean, you know, someone comes to me and says, oh, I was listening to some guru. I said, you know the guy's a lunatic, right? That might be different. I would say it nicer than that. But the point is that just because you don't like his position on eschatology, you're going to badmouth the guy to make yourself feel better? Oh, well, you know, I don't really want you to listen. Only listen to me. Only, only go online and listen to my messages. Don't listen to anybody else's. I, mean, I listen to John MacArthur's messages. So who would I be saying? Why would I be saying that to you? And who would I be to say that to you, right? So I make that point because you can start to recognize that I've been around the block. I, I know when someone's insecure. I can tell when someone's just that little bit insecure about their own gifting and their own ability that they can't tolerate someone else getting the spotlight. They invite a guest speaker, and they put it on the website, and more people show up that Sunday than the usual show up. And then the pastor's sort of just like, you know, looking around like, what's going on here? And everybody tells him, oh, how wonderful that guest speaker was. And he's just thinking, just... It's horrible, but I've seen it. Brothers and sisters, I've seen it. So Diotrephes, he's got this thing with John because, well, who does John think? Well, I know he's one of the 12, but uh, like he's just got this attitude I can tell. I said, I don't like this guy. So Diotrephes has got to be rebuked, and John's going to deal with it. I love these. Like in his 90s, John's still going to take care of it. (laughs) So he plans to deal with this, but John promises he's going to deal with it soon, and he's going to plan to visit the church himself. Now, Diotrephes doesn't seem to know this, but Gaius is being told, because what's going to happen is John's going to show up and deal with this guy. John promises he's going to deal with him. He plans to rebuke this man publicly concerning his defiance of his apostolic direction. He's going to get it, and I'm happy about it. And I'm sure Gaius was happy about it, and I'm sure most people would be happy about it. This man needed to be rebuked. Here he exposes Diotrephes to one man, to Gaius, not to a hundred people. It's just to Gaius. He says, look, Diotrephes is a malicious gossip. A malicious gossip, as if there were any other kind. But a malicious gossip that sought to disparage John and his ministry. Listen, I'm going to give you a little bit of, uh, of an understanding about gossip, okay? Because here's the thing. If I said that I was guilty of murder, which I'm not, but unless I, I said I was guilty of murder, you'd be like, ooh, or adultery. Or, or some other heinous crime against humanity. But if I said, oh, brothers and sisters, pray for me, sometimes I tend to gossip. Your reaction wouldn't be equal to any of the other sins that I mentioned, and yet it probably should be. Gossip is a horrendous thing. 
Gossip is any time we pass on information about someone without their knowledge. Oh, did you hear about what happened to so-and-so? Oh, listen, pray for so-and-so. I'm not saying you can't pray for so-and-so, but a lot of times that's what gossip sounds like. My very dear friend, Matt Johnson, had a sort of a supernatural shield against gossip, and it was good to spend time with him, very close friends. We would get together once a week over breakfast and pray for each other and share with each other. Now now he's in Alabama, so we talk uh, via FaceTime, but and he would always, I just love this about him, if he heard something that even sounded like gossip, he'd be like, and he's from the South, okay? So when I imitate his voice, it's not going to be good because I'm from New Jersey. But he goes, is that gossip? Because that sounds like gossip. And he'd be like, no, no, it's not gossip, but I see your point. You know, you just kind of backed off. He had this sort of anti-gossip meter that went off, a gossip meter. Anytime he heard something that sounded like gossip, and I appreciated that. I appreciated that, because isn't gossip just an easy thing to get into? It really is. So we gossip anytime we pass that information about someone without their knowledge. That's why I will generally say something to you, so if I do say it to someone else, I don't have to be a gossip. <laughs> I told him to his face. I thought he's, he shouldn't take that job. I told, him, I told her to her face that I thought that was a bad relationship to get into. If I told you to your face, then, hey, I told you to your face. But we're malicious when we say something about someone in order to hurt them. See, a lot of times gossip is just sharing news, but it's still not good. But malicious gossip is when we say something about someone in order to hurt them. And this phrase, this phrase gossip or malicious gossip, it means to utter nonsense, to talk idly, or to bring idle accusations against someone. And that's what Diotrephes was doing to John. It also means to make empty charges, to accuse falsely with malicious words, to say things about people that simply are not true. Well, gossip, whether malicious in intention or not, has no place in the church. So I'm going to give you a little safety net here, unless one of you guys has what my friend Matt has, that gossip meter, and you come around, that sound gossip. Anytime you find yourself sharing information with someone else that they don't already know, just stop for a second. Just breathe in and go, is this gossip? Now, if I won the lottery, and I'll play the lottery, so it would be really hard to win the lottery. It would be a miracle, because if I don't play the lottery and I won the lottery, that would be a miracle, right? But here's the thing. If I won a lot of money and I told somebody and they told someone else, I don't think that that's necessarily gossip. But I would ask the question, is this gossip? No, it's not. But if I got fired from my job, or you got fired from your job, and, and you told someone, and they felt it necessary to tell everyone, oh, pray for someone, he got, so-and-so, he got fired from his job. Stop and ask yourself, is this gossip? Because it probably is. I would think that that might be. So we got to have that gossip meter going. we got to stop and ask ourselves, at least ask the question, is this gossip? Is this gossip? Before I share this, and you know, I've actually done this. I've actually started to say something and say, you know what? I'd rather not share it, and i just leave it alone. So, I think gossip needs to be taken more seriously in the church as a sin than we do now, than we take it now. Even the truth, oh, but pastor, it was true. I was only telling the truth. Even the truth can be used as a weapon if the enemy gets hold of it and uses it. And if what you're saying is not addressed in love, it may be true, but it may not be loving. And therefore, it becomes gossip. 
So just be careful, because that's what was going on here. This man was saying things to badmouth John to make himself look better, and that's what gossip almost inevitably does. Uh, in Matthew 18, we, we learn that, that Jesus taught us, if you have something against your brother, you go to them. So here's a really easy thing I do as a pastor. Someone comes to me and they say, oh, pastor, I'm really having a hard time with so-and-so. First thing I ask, have you gone to them? Well, no, because then stop right there. Go and speak to them. And you don't need to tell me how it went. But if you don't come back, I'll assume you resolved it. We would avoid so many problems if we just went and spoke to someone in person. Not text. Just spoke to someone in person. And then John, you know, he further indicts Diotrephes for, for this, was the, this was the most significant thing. He, he wasn't showing hospitality. And, and he was keeping others from showing hospitality. So it wasn't bad enough that he didn't show hospitality. He intimidated others into not showing hospitality to these itinerant teachers. Why would that have been? I can guarantee it was one of these reasons. Number one, he may have been threatened. He most certainly was threatened by their ability to teach or even their teaching itself. Maybe it made him look bad. Maybe they were better teachers. He may have been unwilling to share his precious authority within the fellowship. So sometimes it's people are envious. Sometimes they're jealous. Sometimes they just don't want to share power. But whatever the reason might be, it's all bad. And he also abused his authority. And here's how he did it. He threatened excommunication for those that defied him. You're out. You can't come here anymore. Can you imagine such a thing? And yet we know what happens. I personally know people who attend our church right now that were thrown out of other churches. Either because they refused to give their W-2 form (laughs) or because they refused to do something that the leadership said they should do. I can remember having a conversation with a couple that got married and, and, you know, they were told they shouldn't get married by the other church. First of all, here's the beauty of it. Whether you decide to get married or not is none of my business. The only time it's any of my business is if you ask me to do the marrying. Then it's my business. Otherwise, if you go out and you get married and you come in and say, oh, pastor, we got married. I'm going to say, congratulations. (laughs) Oh, my. But if you ask me to do the wedding, I got some questions, like 15 of them. And that's before we start the counseling. I literally have 15 questions. So, you know, it's just important you understand it's not my job to tell you what to do. It's to share God's word and allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through your life. It takes a pretty secure person to trust God with a leadership position. It really does because, hey, we're all insecure at times. We really are. So this man, very insecure, tried to control those within the church, keep them from showing hospitality. He had the audacity to throw God's people out of God's church for doing the right thing. He may have even excommunicated Gaius for his walking in faithfulness and in the truth. And that's why John has got involved. Well, John encourages Gaius not to follow the wicked example of Diotrephes in verse 11 when he says, Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. It's just that simple. I don't know how you get around that statement, really. 
He's telling Gaius, his dear friend, imitate the good example of those that walk in faithfulness and in truth. That's the theme of this letter, walk in faithfulness and in truth. And he should also judge those that claim to know God by their actions and not just by their words. So by that standard, you could look at Diotrephes' life and you can come to the conclusion that the man didn't know God. I mean, he's implying very strongly that the itinerant preachers that he had sent are from God and that Diotrephes does not know God. I mean, I don't know how you get around that. That's a strong statement by John against Diotrephes. It leaves little interpretation. I mean, what did he say? He said, anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Diotrephes had done some evil things. It's a pretty harsh statement, but true nonetheless. I mean, there's a whole book, or a letter at least, in God's Word dealing with this issue. I think we should take it seriously. Well, now we get to the commendation of Demetrius, and I'm happy not to talk about Diotrephes anymore. Demetrius, John commends him. Look at it, verse 12. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. That's just simply a commendation of this man, Demetrius, who's carrying this letter. John commends him for his good reputation as a man who walks in faithfulness and in truth. I mean, he had lived an excellent testimony with everyone, every single person he came in contact with. I mean, if you, know, if you want to know who someone is, ask. Hey, what do you think of Glenn? You've been hanging around with him. You've had dinner with him. you spent time with him. What do you think of him? He's a great guy. It's that simple. You ask. Hey, what do you think of Frank? You know? It's like you ask, you're going to find out, oh, people love him. The kids love him. It, you, you, it's okay to ask, hey, what about so-and-so? That's your testimony. And we live in such a way that we're constantly projecting our testimony by example. You shouldn't be afraid if people are asking, hey, I heard you were asking about me. Ask away. What do you want to know? Watch me. Sit here. Sit there for about an hour and watch me. I have nothing to hide. So this was Demetrius, a good man. He lived in accordance with the truth of God and the testimony of Jesus revealed in his word. He was the real deal. Excellent testimony with everyone he came in contact with. And John commends Demetrius as the leader of these itinerant teachers and his missions-minded ministry. He had a missions-minded ministry. He was going out to minister and all he needed was some hospitality. Diotrephes wouldn't have it. Gaius welcomed them to his own rebuke from Diotrephes. He welcomed them into his home. And then John commends Demetrius as this leader. And he wanted them to know, he wanted Gaius to know that this man Demetrius had the full endorsement of John the Apostle and his ministry team. Full endorsement. You know, an endorsement says a lot. When someone says, if someone writes a letter of attestation or an endorsement of your character, a commendation letter, a recommendation letter, that says a lot. I'm pretty careful about those things. You know, sometimes, <laughs> this is tough, you know, sometimes I'll get... <laughs> Sometimes I'll get a letter, especially for like Christian schools, and the parents will send me this letter, and they have like a toddler or, or younger child going to the school, and they're like, oh, could you, pastor, could you fill out this recommendation letter? Sure, sure. And then they ask these questions. Is the child disruptive? You know, they ask these questions. I'm like, ah, uh, how do I answer this? <laughs> Gotta be honest. <laughs> 
I can't say he walks on water. No, but you know, you're honest, you tell the truth, and you just share that. But you know, if I couldn't recommend, recommend someone and give someone a recommendation, I would say, hey guys, I'm probably not the one you want writing this recommendation letter. Really? Yeah, yeah you find somebody else. <laughs> you know, I mean, because I'm not going to lie. And I oftentimes will joke, someone will say, oh, did you send that recommendation letter out to like a college or to a job interview? And I'll be like, yeah, yeah. Don't worry, I told them everything about you. All the good, the bad, and the ugly, you'll probably not get the job. Yeah, of course I wouldn't do it, but I say that just to be a scotch. It is important to have people who will vouch for you. It is. But people can't vouch for you if they don't know you. So people need to see your life. Demetrius was such a man. Well, we get to the last two verses here. This is the closing of this brief letter, and we read... I have much to write to you, John writes, but I do not want to do it or to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. These churches were pretty close. I mean, he's, he's writing from one church to another church or to Gaius who attended another church. And so they know each other. There's a smaller community. It's amazing how small the Christian community is, even in North Jersey. It really is. I'll meet someone, I'm like, you look familiar. It's like, yeah, they attended Harvest when I was in the city, or I saw them at some coffee house that I was playing at. Or... So it's amazing how small the community really is. It was small then, too. And in this closing, John says he plans to visit them soon to further discuss the importance of these things, and specifically walking in faithfulness and in truth. And he realizes, as we said the last time we talked about this in Second John, at the end of the closing of that letter, John said something very similar. John realizes the limitations of trying to communicate about these issues in written form. You know, I had a situation where I had to file a formal complaint, right? Happened to be at a garage uh, where someone worked on my car. And I very, I very much liked the people there, but I had to lodge a complaint. It was the right thing to do, and I did. And, you know, the manager called me, and I said, listen, let's not talk over the phone. I made an appointment, and I went down there in the morning, and I had a face-to-face conversation. Because that's the right thing to do, right? Some people are afraid to do that, but that's the right thing to do. And it resolved itself wonderfully. I'm very happy with the resolution. But the point is, a face-to-face communication oftentimes is all that will get the job done. So John knows, I better get my rear end over there. I need to get there and deal with this situation. Writing letters, a letter writing campaign is not going to solve the problem. He's got to go there and deal with this himself, and he says so. Now, it's interesting, and I mentioned this with Second John, the standard papyrus sheet measured about 10 by 8, and the length of this letter would have taken up almost exactly one sheet. So this is just a brief note, really, just a small, brief letter. And he realized it would be far easier to, for him to communicate in person with the benefit of dialogue and face-to-face communication. As I said two weeks ago, or two or three weeks ago, five minutes of a heart-to-heart talk can do what a whole stack of letters is unable to do. Letters often succeed in exacerbating a situation through misunderstanding. It's very easy to misunderstand what someone's writing without the inflection, without the facial expressions, non-verbal communication. And so a good rule of thumb is never write what you cannot speak. Just say it face to face. So he plans to visit with them to confront Diotrephes, 
I would have loved to have seen that. Can you imagine? John the Apostle shows up and is like, well, what, what, what could Diotrephes have done? He had no credibility at this point. And he was going to bring peace to their fellowship. And it probably meant removing him from his leadership position, which sometimes needs to happen. Unless he repented, but even then, I think this guy was probably on his way out the door. Anyway, John the Apostle sends greetings from friends within his fellowship to friends within Gaius' fellowship. And so we see in the early church there were problems. There were problem people. There were good people. There were good people that sometimes caused problems. <laughs> and, and, and you have to deal with things. The, the church is a living organism, and we're a family. I mean, people sometimes get it wrong. And there needs to bring, they need to be corrected. There needs to be someone who can bring correction. This is very much what it means to be a leader in the church, to deal with interpersonal conflicts and problems and someone needs correction. And listen, one of the hardest things to do, and I've only had to do this, I can count on one hand the number of times I've had to do this, to sit someone down and say, listen, you know, I really don't think you should be serving in this position. A lot of times it's, it's not anything they're doing wrong. They're just not really called or gifted to do the job. And, you know, you gave him a shot, and it didn't work out, and it's not happening. And you can pretend, you can play the game for another couple of years, and, or you can just say, you know what, I think it's time for us to get someone else in here. But, you know, in the church, it's like that's considered to be like of the devil, that you should even suggest such a thing. But, you know, we're human beings, and sometimes you just need to bring correction. Sometimes you need to make changes. Sometimes you need to remove people. Sometimes you need to change things around. And, and, and you know what, like, it shouldn't be personal. Sometimes the more difficult conversations ultimately yield wonderful spiritual fruit. But you've got to have them. Now, some of us have an easier time with conflict and confrontation. Others of us, maybe not so much. There are some people that like it just a little too much. And then there are some people that run from it like the plague. Somewhere in between, there's this balance of confront when you need to confront and don't when you don't, right? You don't have to have a confrontation every time. I said put the sugar packets on the left, on the left. Can you imagine if I went in there and whoever put the sugar packets in there and they're on the left or on the right? You know, can you imagine? I mean, and yet we see some people like that about things and, and, and it really is, we laugh, but we really shouldn't laugh. Because it's, it's kind of crazy a little bit. So I'm going to encourage you to walk in faithfulness and in truth. You know, to, and that sometimes means confronting things. Being faithful to confront problems and to be truthful about things when there are problems. And it's not always easy. It's not all peaches and cream. It's not everybody loves you. Oh, I wouldn't want to say anything. People wouldn't like me. The good leaders are not worried about people liking them. That's not their motivation. They're worried about or concerned about pleasing God. And so all of you, I encourage you, you know, this example of John is a good one. The example of Gaius is a good one. He defied his authority to do the right thing. And Demetrius, he went out there, was willing to step out there and do the right thing. And So it, it, there are some good examples in Scripture, and I think what we need to do is look at them, apply the lessons to our hearts, and be willing to be used by God to bring peace to our church family to our interpersonal relationships, and to all the conflicts we encounter, that God might be glorified. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. You are good and gracious God. You've given us such wisdom this evening through this letter, which is a note from one person to another about another person. And so, Lord God, as we look at it, we realize we have much to learn. But give us strength. Give us
what we need to be secure in our calling. So we're not looking over our shoulder worried about what anyone else is doing. Help us to just be faithful with what you've given us to do and not compete or measure ourselves against someone else. We all fall short. Help us, Lord, to honor you with our lives, to live our lives for you. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.